something that no one really noticed a whole lot at first, but eventually it grew. And before long, I was taking the rent money. Finally, after about 18 months, and I don't know why it lasted that long, but after 18 months, they finally decided that it was time that we all split up and go our separate ways. I got out as fast as I could because I was embarrassed and ashamed of what I had done. After my career in the Navy, I, uh, I got out, and the first thing I did was go back to my hometown. The funny thing was, the first Sunday that I'd been there, that was the first time I'd been to church in, uh, well, probably since I had left. And uh, when I got there, I found out that one of my old roommates was the technology person at that church. Eventually, uh, after about a year of living there, I met my wife, I met Yvonne, and we got married in that church. Him being the technology person and everything, he was the one that had to do the technology for my wedding. After the wedding, I went up to him and thanked him for, for what he had done and everything. And he shook my hand. Uh, then uh, I told him to wait right there and I'd go get him, uh, go get him something. And, and so I went across the chapel, went back with a gift, and he had already gone home. Well, that's kind of whenever I finally figured out at that point that I had hurt somebody a long time ago, and it was beginning to affect me too. It was a real big hurt. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Every time this happened, I felt a desperate need to let go of this and to apologize. That's really all I needed to do was apologize. And uh, I couldn't do it. And it was one of the hardest things that I had to live with because the more I couldn't apologize, the more, I, the more it hurt me. His sister got out there and asked him on the Facebook page, whatever happened to your old, two old roommates? Well, he said, the other guy, he knew where he was. He was in Austin, and he knew all about him and everything, and he explained that, but nothing was mentioned about the third guy. I said, I'm that third guy. And uh, I said, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. I hurt a lot of people back uh, back whenever I was living with these two guys. And, uh, I don't even know how much damage I caused, but I know it hurt me, and I'm ashamed of it. Uh, the next night, I got a personal message from this guy, and it was with a phone number. He said, you know, I really want to talk to you. Well, I have uh, three guys that I eat breakfast with every, every Friday morning. And these three guys that I eat breakfast with, they know this story because I've told them this story now for 10 years. And they've told me over the years that I needed to put closure in this story because it was hurting me. So I picked up the phone, and I called him, and I told him who I was. And uh, he recognized my voice immediately. He, he, he let it go. For, for me, he helped me let, to let it go. That night, every time I would, I would talk about one thing that I, would, I had done, it seemed to make it so much easier to talk about the next thing. And uh, one of the easiest things that I had ever done whenever it was over with was to hang up that phone and realize that I am forgiven for that one. Yeah, I made that phone call. And uh, it was the best thing I'd ever done. I appreciate so much the stories that are being told from Dennis to uh, Gary to uh, my own story and others that will be shared through this series. We're a church that has baggage. That's why you see the baggage on stage if you're new. And we want to be a church that claims that baggage and finds healing and restoration from the baggage that has come from our past that still are things we deal with and come up against. And if you don't believe I have baggage as a preacher, then I would invite you to go listen to a sermon from August 2nd, a few weeks ago. Um, I shared my story of my baggage and healing that God has done in my life. And I know those stories are true throughout this church, and we pray it will continue to be 
so in the days to come. One more thing I want to let you know about Dennis, who was on that film just a minute ago. Dennis Hale is beginning a ministry in November. It's going to be a weekend. uh, Retreat's not the right word for it. It's going to be called Casting Nets, and it's going to be a great opportunity for the men in this congregation to grow in discipleship, to grow to know one another and experience the love of Jesus Christ. So there's going to be more information on that coming up. That's in November. I believe it's the 13th through the 15th. So guys, if you're interested in an encounter with God uh, and with your brothers and learning more about discipleship and taking that journey, we would encourage you to put those dates on the calendar and consider that as you hear more in the days to come. Uh, Let's pray together as uh, God continues to address the baggage that's in all of our lives. God, this morning we all come in different places, at different points in our journey with sin and with grace and with forgiveness and with restoration. So God, today, wherever we are, would you take us one step forward? Would you lead us to the healing and abundant life you want to give to us? This morning, God, I pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Well, tomorrow is a big day in the Packer family. Our oldest, Maddox, goes to kindergarten. And and I tried to think back this week on what big moments have prepared me for this moment. And this is the best I could come up with. Uh, So Maddox, I apologize in a minute because this won't come near what we're going to do with tomorrow. It was actually when we gave our dog, Toby, away. Yeah, I know, Maddox. uh, You'll listen to this one day and wonder what in the world, right? But our our dog, Toby, was uh, a little white Maltese. And I say our dog. It was more Holly's dog, if I'm honest about that. This was a way of kind of putting off her maternal instincts at the beginning of our marriage for a few years before we would have kids down the road. Well, we had Maddox uh, and about four years maybe after having Toby, our dog. And, uh, and, and Maddox and Toby didn't hit it off. We could tell this wasn't going to work out. And so quickly in Denver, we called around. We found a, a place for Maddox, a home that he could go to that would bless another family. I'm sorry, that was Toby. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> no, we kept Maddox. There's not another child you don't know about, all right? This is not another confession Sunday. So we took Toby, and of course this wasn't my dog. In fact, I didn't like Toby all that much. But we took him, and, and we drove for about 40 minutes, and we dropped him off. And at, at the end of that drop-off, Holly was fine. I was weeping for the next 30 minutes in the car. And if it that's any indication of what's going to happen tomorrow, I'm telling you, it's going to be messy tomorrow when we drop him off at school. You know, many of us are in different places in our journey when it comes to kids, some of us are sending kindergartners for the first time. Others of us have just had kids and are starting that process. Others of us have perhaps dropped off kids at college or university this year for the first time. And uh, there's a sense when these markers come in our life that we begin to ask questions, don't we? Did we do enough? Did we do all we could to set them on the right course, to set them on the right path? And uh, I guess those are some of the questions we're asking about Maddox. It's not college, but it is our first kind of step of independence of trying to decide if we've done all we can in these first five years to set him up for success. I still remember the first moment I became a dad. I remember holding Maddox in my arms a few minutes after he was born. There were several thoughts that came to mind. The first was, it's my boy, right? The Packer family name lives on. And I remember the second thought after that was, this is my boy. There's responsibility that comes with this. And how do I not mess this up? There's no course that taught me how to do this. 
we're venturing in the land we don't know, and God help us as we raise this child with all the responsibility that comes up with it. The third thought was this. It was, this boy can do anything he wants to do. This boy, he could, he could become anything. He could become president of the United States. He could one day be the doctor who finds the cure for cancer. He, he could play baseball, and he could break Babe Ruth's home record, run record for the first time, or Hank Aaron, I should say, for the first time without steroids, right? Or, you know, maybe he'll become a preacher. Or he'll become, uh, uh, he'll do anything he wants to do, and we're going to try to set him up as well as possible. And as I had that feeling, I felt this huge responsibility. God, may we use these next 18 years especially as we launch him into the world to raise him in the way of Jesus, to raise him to know that he can be and do anything. And how many of you said that to your kids at some point? In order to nurture them well, in order to sustain a dream in them, uh, or, or maybe it's some uh, family member that you know, maybe you don't have kids of your own, but you've had this with some child that you've owned as your own in some sense. The sense of you can do anything, you can be anything, and trying to drill them with this idea that if you would just put your mind to it, if you would pour yourself out on this task, then you can do something big. We ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up, don't we? Because we want to begin to instill dreams and, and begin to set them on a path to do so. But here's my question this, this morning. We give our kids that question, don't we? We give them this encouragement. You can do and be anything you want to be, but how many of you in your self-talk as adults still say the same thing to yourself this many years later? How many of you still believe, I can do anything? I can be anything? I think we give up on that at some point, don't we? And maybe it's because we've chosen routes or we've chosen paths and we think, well, everything's not going to be possible anymore. We come to the grips of, of the truth of that. But we teach our kids they can do or be anything. And here's my question. Are we lying to them or are we lying to ourselves? And do we need to reimagine our lives again and believe that anything is possible? That's the message this morning. That's the title of the message is anything is possible. My question, I guess, is to you, do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that uh, about your journey forward with God when it comes to your job, whatever it might be in your life right now? And i got to tell you, much of the happiness or lack of happiness in our lives ties back to expectations, doesn't it? And when I left school, I had this calling to ministry, and I wanted to take the world by storm. I was ready for us to just grow and, 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 and reach our community and do everything we could. And I had all these idealistic notions about the church, all these extreme ideas about what could happen. And those things came tumbling down not soon after I started ministry. Because I realized this isn't how it goes everywhere. I realized that my expectations were really idealism mixed with a bit of naivete. And when our idealistic expectations are higher than the reality, then there's a corresponding gap that goes between those things. We all have these expectations about how things will go, but then reality is somewhere usually beneath that. There are moments, perhaps, where we see reality above our expectations. But for much of us, for many of us, we experience this gap between our expectations and reality. And, and what you can define that is, is your, your, your disappointment is the gap between those two things. So the question comes, when you have all these dreams about how life will go, when you launch your kids to do well and do big things, what do you do then with the gap between that and the reality that we often face? How are we going to deal with the disappointment? Because the truth is, high expectations are often premeditated resentments in disguise. 
We just set up these expectations for how things are going to go. We're idealistic about it. And then when things come to the reality, we're resentful about what happened. And early on in my ministry, I've got to express, that was my frustration. As I was dealing with all these expectations and this gap between uh, the reality and what I had hoped would happen. And then what I began to realize was as I entered in with high expectations that I, I wound up being resentful of the people in my church at times. And that resentment was the result of my impossible, naive expectations. And I should probably be hearing some amens because this probably isn't the church world, is it, right? But how many of you dealt with this? In whatever line of work you're in, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your kids, how many of us have dealt with this gap between what our expectations were, what the dream was, and how life has seemed to gone? See, you entered your job and it didn't measure up to the expectations. Or maybe marriage was this way, right? You entered into that relationship and you dreamed this is the way it would be. It would be this feeling of romance for the rest of your lives. And now look who you're sitting next to, right? Okay, I'm being a little harsh. I love you, Holly, by the way. Your kids the same way. Like, this is how life will go with kids, and it's much more difficult than that. And so what do we do with this gap between, again, our expectations and reality? Here's what I found. Most of the time when I'm resentful of my job or my spouse or my kids, it was a result of my false expectations and not as a result of their failure to perform the way reality works. I think some of us have got to come to grips with that this morning, is that our resentment often comes with false expectations, not so much the people that we encounter on an everyday basis. It's okay to say amen this morning if you've experienced that. See, the church, the church was supposed to meet my needs when I got into ministry. Most ministers, you'll find out, are, are people pleasers, and they derive a lot of their identity from trying to get people to give them the attaboys and the support in that sense. And I've got to tell you, every time you're trying to receive a blessing from people, you can't give a blessing. So part of the journey for me has been trying to discover that my identity has got to be rooted in Christ and in who I am already. There's nothing that you can offer me that should change my identity in any way. I'm not able to serve as a a blessing to you in any way. It's the same thing for you in your families, in your marriage, in anything you're going through in life. If you're trying to derive your identity from it, it'll destroy you. You'll, You'll end up hating the very thing you thought was going to give you pleasure and joy. But what does it look like to enter in with true expectations? And, and this morning I want to talk about a three-stage process that we all walk through in life. Sometimes we don't get to the third stage. But I want to encourage you this morning to think through your life in these phases, especially your spiritual life today. And the first stage is this. It's our first naivete. We come into life uh, with kind of a naive look into life. We come in with idealistic expectations like I was describing earlier. We come in very optimistic about how things will go, and we view things up front ready to suck life out of everything we can encounter in life. And then we come to our second stage, which is a critical distance. See, we had this naive picture of things, but then we began to experience disappointment and pain and frustration. And so then we began to distance ourselves a little bit from our naive expectations at front. We don't want to be hurt anymore. And so one of the ways we do this is we do this through cynicism. Cynicism is one of the ways that we protect ourselves from frustration because if we can always be cynical, we can hold things at bay and not be frustrated by the expectations we once had. And so we come to the stage of kind of a critical distance where we don't feel things like we used to. We don't expect things to go as we'd hoped they would. And so we're protected. And some of us never leave this place. Some of us just kind of learn to, to play it safe, to stop expecting anything more out of life. And it's a safe place to be. 
In fact, over the past few weeks in this series, I've been sharing my story and others have as well. Some of you have been in the second stage of saying, I don't know if I can trust that things can get better. I don't know if I can actually confess my baggage and hope that I can leave that here and that God can forgive that. I don't know if my marriage can actually get better. And to, and to put hope into that again, well, that's dangerous because that's back to that naive position I was at before. And so in order not to have that gap, we tend to kind of drop our expectations so we're not frustrated at all, but we don't experience the joys of life, the abundant life that God wants to give to us. You see, God wants to give us an abundant life. And cynicism and low expectations are safe, but they protect us from two things. They protect us from pain, but they also protect us from the ability for God to come in and work in our lives in ways that he wants to. So here's my question if you find yourself in the second stage. Do you really want to live the rest of your life just assuming nothing's going to change? You really want to spend the next two decades of your life with the same struggle of sin, with the same uh, you know, relationship with your spouse, with the same situation in, in your job, when God might be calling you forward to greater health in your marriage, when God might be calling you to something big in your life. It's easy to play it safe. It's easy to stay at this stage of critical distance. But I'm here to tell you, God wants to do more. God wants to remove that sin from your life. God wants to do whatever it is that's holding you back and help you take the next step. But you're going to have to take a step forward. And that's where I want to talk about the third stage. The third stage is the second naivete. Now, this stage isn't like the first stage. We've already experienced the pain of life, the suffering, the disappointment that comes with it. Yet despite all the questions and doubt that arise from pain and suffering and difficulty and, and turmoil, we choose to see the world through a lens of, of, of optimism rather than through a lens of cynicism. We aren't idealistic, but we also aren't pessimistic either. We've learned to balance realistic expectations with life with the reality of things that come, to believe that God might actually have a more abundant future for us than what we sometimes experience. We choose to believe that anything is truly possible for those who are in Christ Jesus. And for those of you who are living in stage two right now, I want to I encourage you just to take one step this morning toward that stage three, toward believing again, possibly, that those things that you counted out that you thought may never happen again, I, wanna, I want you to take one step this morning toward believing that truly all things are possible. If you have your Bible, I want to open to a story that will talk more about this. It's in uh, the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10 of the Gospel of Mark. Verse 46, we come to a story about healing that I think talks about these stages and about believing again that anything is truly possible. Mark ten forty six. it says there, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted, all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Now I've been thinking about Bartimaeus all week, which is something weird that preachers do in stories like this, right? I've been wondering, how old is Bartimaeus in this story? I'm wondering, uh, has he always been blind? Was he blind from birth? Or is this something that developed? Did he have an accident that caused an eyesight issue? Did he have a degenerative eye condition that maybe, maybe it was something we could have fixed today that was something that he was struggling with in that day? Has he, had he sought out doctors and home remedies to try to fix this over the years? I'm curious. 
I assume he's past stage one, don't you? I assume he's probably dealt with the hard questions. He probably dealt with the doubt. He's probably given up in some sense on this ever getting better. So he's given up the naivete of the first stage. But I wonder if he's in stage two. I wonder if he's kind of given up on that and realized this may be his lot for the rest of life. But it's interesting because he doesn't seem to care what others think in this story, does he? Maybe he is in stage three. Maybe he actually still does believe in the midst of this that this Jesus guy might actually have healing that's possible for him. It's as if he naively assumes again that perhaps change is possible. So we read on in verse 51 the question Jesus has for him. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Now, earlier in chapter 10, there was a story where James and John come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And uh, Jesus wisely says, you better make the ask because I'm not about to commit to that with you two. So we ask them the same question, what do you want me to do for you? They boldly ask, we want you to give you a place that you're right and left in your glory. But Bartimaeus is in a different place. He doesn't ask for everything Jesus has to offer. Bartimaeus says, well, let's keep reading and see what he says at the end of verse 51 here. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. There's something about Bartimaeus that's bold enough that when he's asked, what do you want me to do for you? He doesn't respond saying, salvation would be great, God. Or if you could just kind of relieve my financial troubles. He goes for the specific thing that I'm sure at some point in his life he'd given up hope would ever change. He makes the specific ask when Jesus asks and he says, I want to be able to see. And my curiosity this morning in a room this crowd, this size, if, if Jesus were to walk in today... What, what is it that you would ask for? What is it that's the prayer that's been on your lips that maybe you've given up on and you say, well, he's not going to answer that, so I'm going to back off and ask for something much less. Maybe at least I'll be allowed into heaven. This series isn't just about salvation. This series is about full healing. And so I'm curious, if Jesus were to walk in the room and, and you have this generic ask that you often ask, what is it that's the specific ask you need to make that you've given up on? Because it's easier to have a critical distance than it is to walk in naively to a situation and find disappointment. I want to ask you over this next week to think about whatever that is and to start praying for that again. I want us to pray bold prayers, not just stay in a safe safe place where we have critical distance. Now, I get stage two. I get living in that world. I've lived in that world. I've walked into church for years with sin struggles and just said, well, I guess this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life. But what I found on the other side of that was when I asked for the specific healing and I walked beside brothers and sisters that were walking me through that struggle, all of a sudden I found out that that doesn't have to be the lot forever. And it would have been easy for me to stay in a place where I said, Jesus, salvation would be great and be confident in that. But I think God wants to take us to a next place if we would just have the openness to step into a second place of naivete to say, God, I don't know what this means. I don't know if this is really safe. I don't know if you want to do this, but God, this is the the bold ask I want to make. And I'm here to tell you, if you're in stage two, it's worth a shot because God is a God who desires abundance for us. God is a God who wants our restoration. And not all of that may happen in this world, but I guarantee you in the world to come it will. But I think he wants to get a start on that, doesn't he? He wants to see that healing. He doesn't want to keep us in a place where we continue in the same struggles and leave it there. Which brings me to two characters in the Gospels that I want to point out quickly. Jesus had 12 disciples, but there's two of them I want to talk about. One of them is a guy named Judas, Judas Iscariot. 
And Judas was the treasurer, and he liked to take some stuff out of the treasury. Related to Dennis's story a little bit earlier today. So there's that story of Judas, but there's also Peter, who's this guy who always speaks up and is always there beside Jesus. He's close. And these two guys have both failed Jesus. You remember at the cross, what happens? Judas betrays Jesus, and Peter denies Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, both of these guys are pretty much on level ground, which is bottom rung right now. They have sold out Jesus. They have denied Jesus. But there's a difference between these two guys. And I wish I knew more of their story. I wish I knew how much they've walked into this critical distance and have walked away and thought it was safer to to be away from Jesus and deny him and betray him. But here's Judas, and Judas ends up taking his own life. He'd given up hope. He didn't know that forgiveness and reconciliation was possible. He thought his life was at an end because of a decision he made. And some of us have gotten to that place before. We've gotten to some dark moments and wondered, is this worth going on? But there's another character in the story, Peter, who goes back to fishing. Yes, he doesn't go back and he doesn't stay with Jesus. But Jesus shows up to him and Jesus gets to restore Peter. And it takes Peter believing this is possible for his healing to come. So I'm wondering how many of us are in this place right now where we feel like we've let God down, we've let our family down, we've let down every dream, and we've kept this critical distance, and we're not about to ask the specific question to Jesus. This is what I want you to heal. How many of us today need to take that step forward again and say, God, in the midst of what I'm walking through, I'm going to make this specific ask. I'm going to allow you to restore and heal in ways you want to restore and heal. I can't do this on my own, but I need you and brothers and sisters around me to walk with me through it. I think that's what God wants, church, don't you? And that power is not found in trying to be righteous. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in the Holy Spirit that's living inside every believer that's in this place. And that spirit, Jesus said about that spirit, we would do greater things than even Jesus did. Which is astounding, and it makes me wonder what that's all about. But this is the God who heals, it's the God who restores, it's the God who doesn't want to leave us in our cycles and let us remain that critical distance from Him and just save us one day eternally. It's a God who wants to restore us, and He wants to heal us, and He wants to take our baggage and claim it as His own on the cross in Jesus. So my curiosity today is, would you be willing to believe with me that God wants to do that in your life? Would you be willing to proclaim that anything is possible for those who are in Christ Jesus? And I know some of you are in situations you're going, Colin, you don't, you don't know what I'm walking through. There's no way you should speak into this because that's dangerous territory. And I know it's safe to step back and allow God to just kind of save us. But this God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to change our lives. He wants to restore us to wholeness. He wants to restore your marriage and your relationships. He wants to restore your life so that sin is not that cycle that just continues to go on with guilt and and, and forgiveness and the same cycle that I've been through in my own life and continue to walk through in in other areas than what I found healing from. So the power is available to those like Bartimaeus. Anyone who cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me, God's right there with them. So this morning I want to invite you to do three things. Number one, like I said earlier, I want to invite you to find what is that specific ask we need to make to God that we need healing from. What do you want me to do for you is the question Jesus is asking you. Fill in the blank on that. Answer that question for Jesus this week and pray that prayer all week long is my encouragement to you. The second is this. You can't do this alone. So if you're going to find healing, you're going to need to find a connecting point group, which we'll tell more about next week. You're going to need to find a brother or sister that's going to walk beside you through that healing. Find that person in your life. Tie close to them. Make sure they're further down the road a little bit discipleship-wise than you are. And there are great people in this, this, this crowd this morning in this church that would love to walk beside you and find that. The third thing is I want to invite you to celebrate recovery. I want to invite you to this ministry that's going to start September 16th on a Wednesday night. 
And I just want to say up front, there's been some misunderstanding about what this is all about. I, this is not going to be a program that everybody in this church is going to walk through. It's not the demand that if you're a member of this church, then, then you walk through Celebrate Recovery. But I will tell you this. I found amazing healing through this ministry myself. And if God is at all prompting on your heart to show up, show up on the 16th. Show up that night. There's no commitment just to showing up and seeing what it's all about and finding out more. And see if this may be the route, the path that God may have to restore you, to answer that question, what do you want me to do for you? This is a ministry that I believe can help you do that because I've experienced it in my own life. So right now, with those three things, I want to call us to prayer as we close our time together. And if there's anything you want to talk about today, if you want to answer that question with us and help us walk beside you, there are prayer partners in the back. I'm here. I'd love to talk with you after service, but let's pray right now. God, we thank you for the story of Bartimaeus. That that story was kept for, uh, and preserved so that we could read this today and realize that you're a God who still wants to do healing in our lives. That you're a God that the impossible becomes possible through. So God, for all of us that have taken a step back, that we've, we've kind of stopped dreaming that things could be different. We've stopped imagining that our lives could be different than they are today. We've stopped even asking for forgiveness because we wonder if you're going to give it to us again. God, you're the God who challenged Peter to forgive 70 times 7 and you got so much more than that. You're a God who wants our, our healing and our restoration. You're a God, like in the prodigal son story, who stands waiting on the prodigal to come back home. This is who you are, and we are grateful for that. So God, this morning we, uh, we make our specific requests to you right now and this week, and we ask that you would answer those. We, we pray that, that we can find relationships to walk beside so that we can find healing as well. And God, we pray also that this ministry, Celebrate Recovery, will be a life-changing ministry for so many in this church and in our community. God, we love you, and we lay our, our baggage at your feet this morning and ask that you would, you would save us from our sin, but you would heal us from our sin and our hurts and our hang-ups and our habits. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to close today with one ask of all of you who are here. We have prayer.